today we start a new series, and the series is called Bless. And it is going to be a very, very practical uh, series. This morning, going to lay a little bit of foundation theologically, biblically, and get us into it. And over the next five weeks leading up to Easter, uh, very, very practical ways in which God can use us. And not just that, it makes us better people. And so I'm really looking forward to what God wants to say. When I was young, I had these attempts. I grew up in the Christian Missionary Alliance. My father was, you know, just loved people who didn't know God. And the whole milieu of the organization or the church was all about that. And there came a point in time where I started getting serious about my faith. And uh, I remember my first attempts at sharing the gospel. Um, sharing Christ, helping people, wanting to see people saved and come a part of the family of God. I remember witnessing to a friend of mine in, in school, my school friend, his name was Gray, and I was in my basement, and he was, we were doing homework, but then I stopped and put my homework away, and I said, this is the opportunity. And I was salivating, nervous as all get out, and I began to share the gospel. Actually, I was more like preaching at him, and he's sitting there, and he's kind of got like eyes in the, like, you know, deer in the headlights. And, and when I finished, I said, so what do you think? And he just says, I don't know. And I said, you're going to become a Christian. In fact, you don't even have a choice in the matter. Because I had started to read something about predestination, and so I just thought I would just, I just laid it on him. He never came back to my house. <laughs> During Bible college and seminary, we ran some community sports things in a local school in the neighborhood, and kids from the neighborhood would come there. And afterwards, you know, the awkward attempts to try to build, you know, speak into kids' life, they rotated all the time. I didn't have a real relationship with these kids at all. But to try to have these awkward attempts to try to share the gospel, that they were sinners and that Jesus died for them, and they needed to repent and get right with the holy God. And again, they just kind of looked at each other and they bailed. I remember taking my high school leadership team as a young youth pastor to Chicago, and we went downtown state at Moody Bible College, and we sat there, and they had plans for us. We were going to get trained in how to be evangelists, and so uh, the thing was, they didn't train us first. They sent us out without training, and then they'd come back and do the training. Now, they were smart because we got just destroyed out there, and we come in, help me, what do we say? But they sent us out cold calling down to the old city airport, uh, to the zoo. Uh, they had us uh, down at, you know, people who were shopping on the Magnificent Mile. And we had to just cold call, walk up to people and start sharing Christ. And I tell you, uh, some of my kids were traumatized. And I felt very awkward. You know, we were focusing on these prescribed techniques and using tracks, you know, and kind of trying to force the close of a deal at the end, like we were some sort of salesman. And uh, I tell you, it just didn't, because, well, that's what good Christians did. And, you know, who didn't want someone to be converted? But uh, if they didn't fall on their knees and repent, it was kind of like an evangelism fail, or at least it felt that way. So then 
I, like many others, bought into a strategy that was completely in the other ditch. I said, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let my light shine. I'm just going to live a good life. In fact, I found a quote. Many of you can quote it. It's been attributed to two or three different people. But the word said this, share the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Now, so, you know, what we would do is, truth be told, many of us grasp onto that phrase as an excuse to excuse ourselves from non-involvement in actually sharing Christ. Uh, We didn't understand the context in which it was given. And so... But the problem is that people weren't flocking to come and ask me. I was either not holy enough, or frankly, they were just had too many things in their life. And then the church went through all kinds of things to try to make themselves you know, engaging. They tried to talk to our people about, hey, this whole prevailing sort of um, perspective in the church was to really be, kind of become like them. So they'll like us. We're not weird. See, we're just like you. And the problem was, they didn't respond to that much. And the gospel wouldn't have changed their lives much because we were asking them just to be the same as we are with them anyway. So those who, called, who Jesus called salt and light lost our distinct flavor and dimmed our light in our witness. It was not a great time. It was frustrating. We know that Jesus wants to use us. God wants us to share his love with people. But I felt like such a failure. I don't know if you feel that way. I began to ask this question. Is it possible for Jesus' followers to fulfill his command, to make disciples in a way that is motivating and doesn't feel so forced? There's got to be a better way. Can we be involved in God's great work of restoring people in a way that's meaningful and enjoyable? Challenging yet fruitful, stretching and beneficial, both to us and to those whom God has intersected our lives. How do we re-engage Summit out of coming out of almost three years of isolation, insulation, sometimes selfishness, or the fact is we were just non-involved because we couldn't be. How do we get our church back to a place of mission of guiding people to know and intentionally love Jesus, to share the love and good news with Jesus and the people of our community and region, especially in the aftermath of COVID? Well, I'm a member of a leadership book club, and sometimes I get business books, and some of them are Christian books because it's it's generally a Christian thing. They do all kinds of things. And the elders and staff had come to the understanding about sort of the three main focuses we were looking for. And the third one was to re-engage people in our life, the life and mission of the church. And it was in the fall, in the early fall, and this, this book summary came by, and I saw this, and I began to look at it. I started to read it, and it really grabbed me. I'd been praying and thinking how we could live out this third major focus, and uh, I just... I just had the sense that maybe the Lord's in this one. It's not an original idea with me, but something triggered with me as I read it that said, I could do this. I felt like I could do this. And I felt like it was wholesome and it was good. And I feel like my friends wouldn't run away. 
if I were involved in it. And so I uh, began to think it through, and I, I believe that it's a very good thing, and we're going to walk this road together. The book was entitled, Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. So in response to what I believe God was wanting us to do in and through each of us and through Summit in our world, we're going to have this series called Blessed to Bless. As we take this journey through uh, the scripture, we're going to see that God's plan right from near the beginning has always been to bless his people, not for themselves, but so that they would bless others. It's been his plan. And one of the greatest examples, if it all goes back to Abraham, when he started, his name was Abram. And God made a covenant with him that he would bless him and that through him he was going to bless all of the nations of the world. And uh, God blessed Abraham so he would be a blessing to others. Genesis chapter 12, we read about this story. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred to, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And we read as it goes on, verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And surely, he says later in chapter 22, I will bless you and your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. You see, as God obeys, or blesses Abraham, Abraham obeys God and blesses others. And as a result, others get blessed. And by doing so, Abraham is again blessed through his offspring and those who would in turn bless the world. So there's this blessing comes through our obedience to bless other people. It kicks back to us in the form of blessing. And the Holy Spirit affirms this blessing upon those when he wrote through Solomon in Proverbs chapter 11. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and whoever waters will himself be watered. It's the promise of God that when we bless other people, it kicks back to us in blessing. Remember, when it comes to God's blessing in our lives, we are to be rivers, not reservoirs. God does not bless you just to bless you and end of story. We are not reservoirs, we're rivers. Often we've heard this illustration that in Israel there's two sort of main bodies of water. We've got the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And why is one teeming full of life and energy and refreshment and such blessing to so many people and the other one, I mean, all you can do is basically lie on it because the Sea of Galilee, fresh water flows in and it flows out and it stays moving. Dead Sea, it flows down there and it just stays, stagnates, mineralizes. And you and I have been made to be rivers of God's blessing and when we obey him and when we bless other people, he blesses us again in turn, not again for ourselves, but to continue to bless other people. 
John chapter 7, remember in our series, Jesus said this. He said, whoever believes in me, out of his, uh, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus has always given us life such that we would sense him working in and through us. The Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul teaches us how God has blessed us through Christ. And he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Think about that. In Christ, we are blessed that in the heavenly dimension, in the life of the kingdom of God, we have every spiritual blessing that we can just lean into, grow into, experience more deeply. And then Jesus affirms that when we do share the practical spiritual blessing of God, we are blessed in return. Quoting Jesus, the apostle Paul says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The blessing of others is a great, great joy. And we, like Abraham, have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm through Christ. And it is our privilege then to be a blessing to others. You know, it's interesting, uh, there was a doctrinal, uh, a person was writing their doctoral thesis and they decided to do a study because there was two major groups that were going into Thailand that, to do business as mission. That is, they would use their business practices to help share Christ in the country. One of them had a very specific focus, and this one group, the first group, they were there and they were going to save souls. It was about converting people. It was about teaching and preaching to them, and they were going to go hard at that. The second group said, no, we're not going to be, you know, converters. We're actually going to go, and we're, just, we're going to bless every person that God brings by our path. We're going to bless them. We're going to bless the community. We're going to bless the people there. And the study followed these two groups for two years. And here the researchers discovered two findings. The first one was this, that the presence of the blessers in the community resulted in tremendous amounts of social good. They contributed to the betterment of the society, community life, and the creation of what they called social capital. The converters, however, seem to make very little difference in the whole community. The second finding was this. Surprisingly, the blessers saw 48 people decide to become followers of Jesus as they observed these people, as they became friends with them, as they saw their character, asked questions, and the quality of their life drew them such that Jesus became intriguing to them. They asked questions, and they decided to get off the, the road of Buddhism and onto the road of Jesus. The converters, guess how many came to faith? One. And it was very fascinating, 48 to 1 difference in the influence of people for the cause of Christ by blessing all who God brought by their path, by being a blessing to people relationally. You see, 
I'm going to posit this, that in our, in our series, you and I are to be blessers, not converters. You're, you and I are to be blessers, not converters. Now, I know some of you might be a little nervous. You're saying, oh, man, Jerry, you're becoming untethered from the gospel. We're supposed to do this. I'm not, that's not it at all. All I'm just saying is, it's time to stop treating people like projects and to start learning to befriend people, be real with them, and we're going to learn how we can actually uh, be used by God for their betterment. The call to follow Jesus and to become like him is what we are to be about, to be blessing people. Jesus was like that. He befriended and blessed. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. He tied that so strongly to the greatest commandment of love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second's like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know the Bible gives us that command eight times? Eight times. In the book of John, he calls it the royal law. You see, we have this promise that we're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us to be his witnesses. We have given titles in the New Testament like we are salt and light. We are called ambassadors of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, and this teaches us that, he says in this, this context, we are fragrance, a fragrance of Christ. We are letters that are written by the Spirit that people read. The Apostle Peter encourages us to give answers to people who ask us. In short, our role is to bless and to love, and to give answers, to give witness, to let our light shine, to make disciples, to bless those who come. God's role is to convict people, convince people, convert people, change their minds, open their hearts, give them eternal life, all of that. We are blessers, not converters. Get it? Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm a blesser. Yeah. <laughs> Friends, I don't know about you, but, you know, as I, re- as I read this book and I started to think through and get it back into the scripture, I just found this very freeing. I think this is going to be a really amazing series and a great release for all of us to, uh, you know, in a, in a great way. Uh, there was some research done by uh, the Barna Research Group, and they were asking this question. What do people value in someone whom they would talk with about spiritual matters? What, are the, what, what do they value in people whom they would go to to talk about spiritual things? And so they found in this research the top three. So they're not asking believers. They're asking people who don't believe in Christ. If, if you were going to talk about spiritual matters, what are sort of the top qualities you would want to have in somebody you were talking to? Here's what the research said. First, someone who would listen to their perspective without judging them. Too often, we as Christians, as we're listening, we're judging. It's in our facial expression. It's in how uptight we get. It's in our reactions when they say certain things. 
They want to listen without judgment. It's a gift we give to people to focus on them and to actually give them our attention and listen. Last night in our marriage workshop, we talked about this principle of listening to understand, not listening to respond. And it's so helpful to be able to listen to really, instead of formulating your arguments and how you're going to you know, convert them, you listen to their heart. Listen to what they're saying. Allowing them to process their thoughts and experiences and feelings and perspectives on this spiritual journey that they have, knowing they're not going to be judged or looked down upon or berated in some way. And sadly, two-thirds of the people in that survey who answered that as the number one thing, two-thirds of them said, I don't have anybody I could talk to because they're all not like that. And that is a serious indictment on us as a church of how we are listening or not listening. Here's the second thing they said. Give them freedom to draw their own conclusion. You're listening with a really attempt to understand and allowing them to process where they're at in their journey and then you give them freedom to draw their own conclusion. They're looking for people who won't force a decision on them. To be, they won't coerce them or corner them or you know, push them or pressure them. They want to be respected enough that they would feel free to draw on their own conclusions in their spiritual journey. And then, lastly, authenticity. Authentic confidence in sharing your perspective because when they're actually talking to someone and when they've actually listened people they found that they've got a listening ear and people are really trying to understand them when people honor their own journey that they're on and don't try to force them to a conclusion then actually they begin to ask you questions and they're open but what they want to hear is someone who knows what they're talking about they have authentic faith and real experience. You don't have to be a seminary grad, but you just have to know God and you're living an authentic life. So they want this kind of confidence as you're sharing your expect, uh, their expectation or your, your experience. So, does that make sense to you? This is what people are listening for or wanting to have. And if we are in judgment of them, if we're trying to coerce them or force a decision, or not really hearing what they're saying because we're going to building our arguments, um, they'll just shut down. It's a great gift we can give to people is to listen. So here's five practical ways to love your neighbor. Here's where we're going in the next five weeks, uh, starting next Sunday in the barn at 10 o'clock. The first one, it's just an acrostic, simple. It's easy to remember, right? We're blessers, so what does it mean to bless? Well, first thing, be in prayer. Anything of spiritual significance starts, continues on, and always ends in prayer. We're going to learn that. We're going to delve into that starting next week, what that means. Here's the second. We listen with compassion. This is what we were talking about before. I'm going to mention this again in a couple of weeks, but when I was in Calgary for a workshop, my friend uh, Dom Russo was uh, speaking. He's from Montreal. And, and Dom was talking about the fact that in today's culture, 
what we have assumed and we train ourselves in in responding to people is we're training ourselves to respond to atheists. The problem is secularism or secular is a moving target and it doesn't mean what it meant 40 years ago. Our culture, secular, may not be Christian, but our culture is highly spiritual. Do you know how many people believe in horoscopes, who believe in ghosts, who believe in paranoia? Just look at the top 10 shows on Netflix or Crave. How many are supernatural? There is an openness, not Christian, not church necessarily, but very spiritual. So what Dhamma was telling us, that when we're talking to people, we need to be thinking we're addressing agnostics, not atheists agnostics. They're confused. They have questions. They know there's something there. They don't understand or know what it is. But the church is still rooting itself and trying to address and give all of our arguments against atheists. And we're missing the boat. That's why we need to listen. Walk with people. And listen with compassion. More on that in a couple weeks. This is my favorite. Can I hear an amen? amen? Yeah. Eat together. We need to eat together. Eating together is a huge topic in the scripture. And what we've learned from so many other great cultures that have started to come to summit is we're intentionally in our culture where we're seeing how important food is. It's not eating. It's an invitation to fellowship and friendship. Food means more. What happens across a coffee table or a lunch table or a dinner table just is so disarming and is, can get us so much further. Friends, eat together. We're going to talk about this. and I just think this is awesome. Lots of wonderful things happen when you eat with someone. Already, can you see? Can you see yourself going, man, I can do this. Exactly. Here's another one. Serve a need. As you are actually listening to people, you're going to hear things. You're going to hear their hearts. You're going to hear what's going on in their lives, their struggles. You're going to hear them as you're talking over dinner or coffee. You're going to hear them talking about something about something's going wrong at home or this thing broke or I need help with this or I'm having a struggle with that. Because you're listening and you're eating together and you're praying like crazy, then you serve. What turned the first century completely upside down in an antagonistic, completely, you know, a culture that was just so much worse in many ways than our culture, spiritually and morally. It was when they saw sacrificial love by these people of the way. And what blew their minds was it wasn't even to do in their own people, which they did, but they did it to the Romans and all the others. Weren't not their own. And it blew their minds. So serving a need is going to be very important. And here's the last one. Share story. You're going to share your story. You know, when you've got this kind of friendship with people, you're 
you're working with them, you're eating with them, you're, you're building relationship, you're really listening. They're starting to ask you questions and you're serving them in practical ways. Like, it's just ripe. Sometime it's going to come up. They're going to ask you, like, what makes you tick? What do you believe? Or something. And you'll get to share your story. And we're going to talk about that, sharing your personal testimony, how to do it in practical ways that are easy and quick, but impactful. But also, the story of Jesus, the grand story of God. It's called the good news. So that's where we're headed. I don't know about you, but I'm really excited for what God, because when I look at this, I go, I can do this. And I believe you can do this. And together, when all of us are doing this, I think we're going to have impact again. And we're going to see many, many people in our region helped come to a personal relationship with Christ. I think it's just going to be beautiful. And the church will be on mission. So, sharing the good news can be as simple as being Christ-like friend, a Christ-like friend who blesses. Who's praying, being in prayer, who's listening, eating together, serving, and sharing story. It can be that simple as we befriend people and bless them. So Jesus commanded us to love our neighbor, and obviously it could be people around us in our neighborhood but he extended that to who it could be. It could be people in need when he told the, the story of the Good Samaritan to answer the question, who's my neighbor? So people at your work, in your sphere of influence, those who are in need, those who are different from you, those at your school, in the arena, on the sidelines or in the stands, the barista who serves you, the waiter of your favorite restaurant, the one who cuts your hair, the fellow patient receiving similar treatments, your family or relatives new immigrants or refugees, your financial advisor, on and on. It could be. And God has placed you in certain places. Listen, friends, you need to believe this. The God of the universe, who orchestrates every single thing in the planet, has arranged for you to be alive at this time, living where you live, going to school or work where you go, having the webs of relationships and sphere of influence for very specific reasons, the purpose of revealing his love to others, pointing them to Jesus who offers them connection and hope and life. Now, this is really true. In Acts chapter 17, we read this, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined and allotted the periods, the time, and the boundaries, where, of their dwelling place. That they, why? That they would seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. And he goes on to say that he's closer than we think. You see, it's true on a macro level with nations over the course of history. It's also true on a micro level with families and individuals. Again, God has placed you where you are. You've got to believe that. 
in order to bless people. Because in doing so, you're revealing what God's like to them. So that they might seek him and be guided to him. And that's his plan A. He works through us. So you're here for a purpose. So people can discover God. He will restore their brokenness and forgive their wrongdoing. Give them new life, hope, spirit's power. Yeah. I just love that. Friends, he has entrusted us with his mission of blessing. He's called us and saved us and transformed us and gifted us. He has commissioned us and sent us. He's filling us with his presence and enabling power so that we might bless other people in our sphere of influence. We do our role, and we let God do his. We get in all kinds of trouble when we try to do his. So it's very freeing. Over the next five weeks, we're going to learn how to be motivated and encouraged to bless each other in our spheres of influence. Our life groups are going to continue the conversations and encouragement and praying for each other. And together, we're going to re-engage in the life and mission of our church of guiding people to know and intentionally following Jesus as we bless them. I hope you're as enthused as I am. I really believe God wants to use us. And it's ripe in our culture. Let me pray for you.